Welcome to Advantage Recovery Coaching's first podcast to the Leaders in Recovery podcast, Episode 1, How to Smash Your Blocks to Recovery, What the Gurus Don't Tell You. Many of the self-help gurus won't work with you on these powerfully transformational processes. Why? Because they tend to work with you on a surface level. They typically focus on helping you develop skills and change behaviors, but this approach does not recognize that your inner world leads to your outer world. It's what's invisible beneath the surface, your conditioning, thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, assumptions, and conclusions that lead to your emotions, causing your visible actions. And these actions lead to your results. To demonstrate this process of manifestation, imagine the formula C plus T plus F plus A equals R. Your conditioning is what you heard, saw, and experienced while you were growing up. This is how you were hardwired to interpret events in your life. For example, did people drink excessively? Or was drinking a highly controlled religious, traditional, or cultural practice? Were substances respected, carefully used, and sought only for practical medicinal purposes? Or were they sought as solutions to many conditions and not feared but adored with reckless abandon? Were you raised to believe that people could change their behaviors and recover from addiction? Or were you raised to believe the opposite? This conditioning, the C in the formula, determines the way in which we interpret events. Our conditioning is the basis of our thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, assumptions, and conclusions. The T in the formula, the next letter in the formula, represents our thoughts and beliefs. The third letter, the F, represents our feelings. And the fourth letter, the A, represents our actions, while the R is our results. We cannot do anything about the conditioning we had growing up, but we can change our outer world, our results, by changing our inner world, our thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, assumptions, and conclusions. If you don't like your results in life, change the other factors in the formula. In my coaching practice, we start the process of smashing your mental blocks by identifying the negative self-limiting disempowering thoughts beliefs attitudes assumptions and conclusions david burns the author of feeling good handbook identifies several forms of irrational thought helping you identify his 10 forms of twisted thinking is often the first step in challenging your thoughts and beliefs These distorted thinking patterns cause negative feelings, which in turn cause behaviors that impede your recovery from an addiction. Let's see how many of these you might have. All or nothing thinking. Thinking things in absolutes or black and white versus shades of gray. For example, after a relapse, instead of acknowledging that you made a simple mistake and trying to move past it, you binge drink concluding that you've blown it. Overgeneralization. You make a hard and fast rule about a single event or some coincidence. Using the words always or never are a clue that you're guilty of overgeneralizing. Mental filter. 
taking one small event and focusing on it exclusively, filtering out anything else. For example, you feel like you need to use a substance in social situations because you filter out all the good social experiences you have without it. And instead, you fixate on the times you haven't used it and others seemed bored by you. Discounting the positives. Ignoring or invalidating good things that have happened to you. For example, a person with a sex addiction may compulsively seduce, then reject strangers who don't seduce in return because he discounts many positive non-sexual interactions he has every day. After all, those experiences aren't as intense or pleasurable as having sex with a partner who is a stranger. Jumping to conclusions. That's either mind reading, thinking someone is going to react in a particular way or believing someone is thinking things they aren't, or fortune-telling, predicting events will occur in a certain way, often in avoidance of trying something difficult. For example, you insist you wouldn't be able to stand life without alcohol or any other substance for that matter. In reality, you can live without it, and you will. Magnification. Exaggerating the importance of negatives while minimizing the importance of positives. For example, if you're addicted to pain medication, you magnify the importance of eliminating your pain and exaggerate how unbearable your pain is. Emotional reasoning. Judging yourself or your circumstances based on your emotions. For instance, you may use emotional reasoning whenever you conclude that you are too weak or lazy to resist peer pressure to drink or abuse some other mind-altering chemical because you feel weak or lazy. You are basically saying, I feel, therefore I am. Should statements. That's placing high, even unattainable standards on yourself and others. Then, when yourself or someone else falls short of these ideals, you consider them failures. For example, if you are addicted to overworking because you hold unattainable high standards. Reasoning. Making a judgment about yourself or someone else as a person, rather than seeing the behavior as something the person didn't define them as an individual. For example, labeling can lead to addictive behavior or relapse when you label yourself a bad person or a loser, unable to fit in with others. Personalization or blame. This is blaming yourself or someone else for a situation that actually involved many factors out of your control. For instance, you can take a look at something that is not quite your blame. You blame yourself for a lack of trust, for example, cohesion, lack of cohesion among your team members, reasoning that if you had been more organized, more assertive, or decisive with your team, you would have had a more cohesive team. You're so disappointed in yourself that you put yourself down and relapse. In reality, it was many factors that led to the breakdown of trust on your team. The second step in challenging your self-talk and breaking those mental blocks is to challenge that stinking thinking. I give you a series of questions to answer in order to dispute your beliefs. I directly and actively intervene to help you examine your thinking.
For example, these five questions are presented in my book, Leadership Success in Spite of Stress. Using the acronym HABIT, H A B I T, I help you eliminate your stinking thinking by evaluating whether your self talk is rational, accurate, proven, and empowering. The H in the formula stands for Is it healthy to think this way? The A, is this thought accurate? B, is it balanced? In other words, not exaggerated, extreme, or slanted in any way, direction, or absolute. I, is it irrational? And T, is it time-tested and proven to be true? In my work with leaders in recovery, I'm very persistent in my attempts at eliminating your mental blocks. I spend a lot of time, an hour sometimes at the very least, teaching you how to stop sabotaging yourself by smashing your mental blocks. I don't take a break or give you one either. I flood you with arguments against or counters to your negative, self-limiting, disempowering thoughts and beliefs. With complete control, I actively repeat the best arguments and the strongest counters until you comprehend the faulty reasoning. Many people, even if they do identify their twisted thinking, don't take this next critical step. But when you work with me, we concentrate on your perceptions as they occur in the present, here and now, increasing your conviction or my conviction and persuasiveness with each argument, I present an assured self-confidence so you feel challenged yet supported. Here are some ways I counter or dispute an executive's distorted beliefs, thoughts, attitudes, assumptions, or conclusions. Unless you have someone who challenges your reasoning and jolts your logic, you will remain stuck. For example, let's say a client complains to me, my organization is in complete turmoil. Trying to focus on recovery in the midst of it all is awful. If I don't learn how to stay sober, it's going to be disastrous to my career. I just know I'm about to be fired and that would be terrible. I feel so damn stupid. Every time I succeed, this always happens. It never seems to last. My counters or arguments to each of these twisted thoughts are, this may be very stressful for you right now, but is it really disastrous? I mean, really awful? Devastating? Terrible? I place a question mark after the exaggeration while raising my voice in inflection or tone. When the absurdity of the exaggeration is made clear, you might say, well, maybe it's not all that bad. I may also ask, how about we let go of trying to solve all your problems at once and just work on one at a time? In this way, I'm helping you scale it down to something manageable. I may ask, what if this wasn't a question of being stupid, crazy, lazy, sick, or bad, but instead a matter of thinking, hey, I made a mistake. I'm just upset, maybe confused. Maybe I just need a solution. In other words, I help the person remove shaming labels. I may also ask, always? 
Now let's recall some examples or exemptions, exceptions, even the minor ones. I concentrate on the present and the here and now rather than focusing on the overgeneralizations and repeated patterns. I may also ask, never? Are you sure about that? Haven't you or he or she ever? And you fill in the blank. I may also say, despite how badly you feel about this, what's good about it? And then I will continue that line of questioning with more, like, what else is good about it? And what else? I'm very persistent. I may also ask, what are you learning from this? What else can you learn from it? Again, I remain very persistent. I may even ask, how can you use this to grow? How else can you grow from it? Any other ways you can grow from it? Again, I'm persistent, maybe even to the point of being annoying. If you say, he made me do it, you made me angry, or she hurt me, I may respond with, he made you do it, I made you angry, or she made you hurt. I strongly discourage this passive victim talk and instead encourage assertive, active orientation. Then we practice assertive communication skills like, I feel X when you do Y. I'd much rather that you did Z instead. If you say, I'm just lazy, I respond, you mean you feel lazy. If you say, I'm a bad person, I may respond, you mean you feel bad because of what you've done? Does feeling a certain way necessarily mean that you are that way? Have you ever been fooled by your feelings? After all, feelings aren't facts, are they? This line of questioning helps you separate from your emotions. Also, if you say, I must have complete control of my drinking or other drug use or addictive behavior, I would respond with, I know you're really motivated to cut down your drinking, drug use, or addictive behavior, but you're not perfect, and that's okay. If you say, people who've done horrible things I've done are bad people, I respond, bad behavior doesn't make a person bad. It only makes you a fallible human being. If you say, to be worthwhile, I must have everyone's love and approval. Now that I'm sober, I have to work harder than ever to please people. To this, I respond, you can't evaluate yourself based on who loves you. You can't prove your worth, but you can improve your behavior. If you say I'm damaged and worthless because of my addictive behavior, I respond, you're not damaged or worthless. You may have made mistakes or poor choices, but you're changing that now. And on to the fourth step of smashing your mental blocks. This is where you choose alternative thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, assumptions, and conclusions to replace those that you were arguing against. Next, I point out some more rational, empowering, positive, supportive thoughts and beliefs that could replace those negative, self-limiting, disempowering ones. 
This is an important step toward modifying or replacing your inner dialogue. But during this process, I also make sure I confront every argument, denial, or excuse, or sabotage that you give me to avoid feeling more rationally. I help you replace every I can't, I never, they won't, or that won't work, or what if statements with the following positive, supportive, empowering statements or affirmations. I create my level of success. I focus on what I need to do to create that success. I look up to learn from and admire successful people. I can be successful doing what I love. I deserve success because I add value to other people's lives. I am a generous giver and an excellent receiver. My ability to find success grows every day. Whether Rather than react emotionally, I respond rationally. I choose inner power, controlling myself versus controlling others. I am strong even when things are difficult. I am unstoppable. I do whatever it takes. After each session, write down each of these empowering statements and read them before you go to sleep each evening and when you awake before going about your day. Number five, the fifth step in smashing your mental blocks, what the success gurus don't tell you, ask different questions. Many self-help success gurus claim that Setting goals and using affirmations are all you need. But contrary to this traditional advice, affirmations aren't nearly as effective as asking yourself empowering questions regarding what you want and what you have. People who are stuck often ask themselves negative, disempowering questions about what they don't want or have. For example, they ask, What if I can't stop drinking? What if people don't like me when I'm sober? What if I become successful and people don't like who I am? What if I become so wildly successful that I can't keep up the work required to sustain my success? And other what-if questions. They also ask themselves self-limiting questions like, Why am I such a drunk? Why do I have such an addictive personality? Why can't I do this? How do I manage to get myself into trouble with my drinking all the time? And so on. When we ask ourselves a question, our deep inner subconscious mind searches for the answer. It's very similar to a web browser like Google, Bing, or Chrome. The law of attraction kicks in, and we're not, we not only find the answers to those negative questions, but we also materialize those very things we are looking for and focusing on. What we think about, we bring about. Where our focus goes, our energy flows, and our results show. So instead, I help you ask empowering, supportive questions. For example, why am I so, so successful in my recovery? Why am I so happy with my recovery? What have I done that seems to work? Why am I such a great leader? These questions are much more empowering than the opposite, 
disempowering questions like, why can't I do X and you fill in the blank? What are you doing by asking positive, empowering, supportive questions is Googling your subconscious mind like you search the internet for answers so you can find success much more quickly and effortlessly than any deliberate attempts. Again, make sure that you write down each of these empowering questions and read them before you go to sleep each evening and when you awake before going about your day. Step number six in smashing your mental blocks is seeking candid supporters. Traditional success gurus tell you to set goals and believe in yourself. They say, all you have to do is think positive, use affirmations, and make a vision board that depicts your goals achieved. But often we are our own worst enemies, especially those of us who are high achievers. We tend to be our biggest critics. We think more highly of others than we do ourselves. Many of us were raised not to brag or think too highly of ourselves. Contrary to traditional advice of the success and motivational gurus, instead of starting by believing in yourself, find others who believe in you. Surround yourself with supportive people who see you more accurately and have more confidence, belief, and faith in you than you have in yourself. These individuals see the potential in you. They give you unconditional support and encourage you to achieve success. These supporters not only see the greatness in you, but they also hold you accountable to manifest that greatness. They know you can do it, and they push you to do so. They believe in you more than you believe in yourself. This is where a coach comes in. Just like a personal trainer or cheerleader, a coach supports you but also encourages you and holds you accountable to do more than you would do on your own. Even if you didn't grow up having positively supportive people, you can find these individuals in your adult life. Identify who in your life will support you unconditionally. Once you've done that, I have an exercise designed to help you engage these candid supporters to help you get further in life. Step 7 in smashing your mental blocks, overcoming obstacles and recovering, is to expose and kick out your inner critic. Every one of us has a little voice that bullies us and puts us down. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You must be best in everything. This voice often originated from negative feedback or labels you received from adults in your life growing up that you later internalized. But now you can expose your inner critic by taking a deep breath, sitting still, quieting your mind and listening to your inner critic as you read that list of affirmations I mentioned earlier. Because when you read those affirmations, you sometimes get things in your head like, ah, yeah, right. Yes, I'm successful, happy, and rich. Yeah. We don't always believe our affirmations. So our inner critics come forward. 
share this list of negative comments that come from your inner critic with one or more of your candid supporters. Ask those supporters for their thoughts. This way you are gathering facts about who you really are. Your supporters will most likely reveal the inner critic's lies, exaggerations, and inaccuracies. Also, argue against the inner critic yourself. For example, in response to, you're not good enough, you may argue, wait a minute, I am good enough. I deserve health, happiness, and blissful recovery just like the next person. In response to, you must be best in everything, you may argue, the best way to achieve excellence is to concentrate my time and energy on tasks I consider important and spend little effort on achieving the less fulfilling things. Trying to be the best in everything wastes my energy on low-priority tasks and reduces my chances of reaching my goals. Again, I have a powerfully transformational exercise designed to help you evict your inner critic. Call today and find out more. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Executive Recovery Snippets. Like my podcast and subscribe now. Thank you.